One of these days, we're just going to read you our theme song. No, obviously, no disrespect to, to Connor Hallfield, our wonderful, wonderful composer who did our theme song. But we need your voice in there somewhere. Um, <laughs> I just do it. Like, I, I want people to know I've never once thought ahead of time how that started and how it was going to end. But it here we are. And it goes where it's going to go. And here we are. <laughs> it's perfect. It's perfect. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Under Further Review. I'm Kata here with my producer, Mike, and um, it's everything is a mess. Uh, sorry, one week off turned into two weeks. We, we took the week before last week off because I was busy. Then last week ended up being a, well, actually it was far from an off week. We worked so damn hard, but um, as a result, you guys didn't get any content. I, uh, we planned to do this podcast a few days ago, but I needed some time to cool down because I'm still honestly really triggered by the whole situation that went down with, um, our podcast last week. And for those of you who don't know, we interviewed Garrett Powell, who was a contestant on season 15 of the bachelorette. That was Hannah Brown season. And this is, this is not an attack Garrett moment. We feel like he kind of Put us in a position to screw up but we were probably too trusting in our relationship and we screwed up um there i guess was not enough due diligence on our end before we kind of pressed go and sent the podcast out to the 20 something of you who did get to listen to it 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 has been a really really rough week coming back from that and we've learned a lot for sure but to summarize, we had a conversation that began with his golf career and reached into his experiences on The Bachelorette, which were great conversations. And, and they led us into kind of, I guess, the political sphere. He has fundamentally different values and opinions than our own personally. <laughs> Um, but it was a very exciting and we felt at the time productive conversation in the sense that it really showed how important it is that, you know, people have, I, I find it very, very important in my personal relationships to have friends and have people who I spend time with and speak to who don't necessarily agree with the same principles that I do. I think it's the only way that we can learn and grow together as a society. And that conversation felt very much within that spirit. The next day, while I was busy editing <laughs> and not paying attention to social media, he got on Twitter and the tweets just didn't really feel like the person that we spoke to. And we struggled with keeping the podcast up because what happened on the internet felt different than the message that we agreed on. Um, the actions that, that he took on Twitter that night kind of discredited our conversation and out of respect as a journalistic entity and out of respect for Garrett and our conversation, we ultimately decided after a few hours of it being live to take it down. Um, we actually also gave him an opportunity to clarify what happened, which was probably more rope than we should have given him. But um, he basically responded and said that we wasted his time. So that's that on that. 
Um, that is that on that. <laughs> like that's that's the end of that. Um, yeah, but honestly. but keeping it up just it wasn't responsible journalism. But but it was it was an offensive situation to me, and so we tried to have a conversation about it, and uh, he he wasn't understanding what we were trying to say. It's not his views that we were arguing with necessarily. We we brought him on in the interest of the fact that we have different views. It was the way that he went about alienating a particular audience that didn't fit within the narrative of the podcast. And, and thus our narrative was tainted by the tweets. So, so yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> now his Twitter, his Twitter is inactive by the way now. So don't try to look, he deleted it. Um, it's all gone. Yeah. I'll, I'll say, um, as it pertained to like the conversation we had, um, you know, like while we were like disagreeing on um, certain uh, quote movements right now, um, it we made it very clear that we were not going to agree to disagree on social justice, on Black Lives Matter, queer rights, equal rights, equal, uh, you know, uh, wealth inequality, like those are not things that we're willing to agree to disagree on. But the point of the podcast was to come to an understanding um, as to where people are coming from and what their perspective and lenses are so we can ultimately come together. And um, I really um, took fondly to, to Garrett's kind of narrative and or like really what he said was, no, we need to come together. Um, that is, you know, what, what was said in the podcast and then in those tweets, um, quite um, the opposite was said. It was essentially like, who, who can I get to unfollow me? Like, um, like, what do I have to say so these people unfollow me? And it was a very alienating um, thread that ultimately did and in, in, in included us, like we were in that group. So it just felt very odd that we had that conversation in which he was the first to say among uh, us three that we all need to come together and we need to understand each other. Um, it wasn't like, oh, we're not changing anyone's opinions here. It's just how can we come to a general understanding about how to help people? And that was his, um, his pitch, I guess, to us and his narrative to us in the podcast. And then once we saw those tweets, um, you know, it was so unclear to us what the, the narratives were so polarizing that we obviously couldn't um, just be like, oh, like, they're just like two different, like, you know, mindsets or whatever. like they were so polarizing, it had to be one or the other. Yeah. Um, and which is why we gave them the opportunity because we were so, um, lack of a better term, bummed out because we took um, that conversation we had on the podcast very um seriously and with a lot of heart and we we um when we saw those tweets we just felt like I, I just felt like I got kind of played um and so that's why ultimately we did agree to take it down um I'm still upset about it I mean I'm not you know you said you're feeling a little triggered I personally am feeling a little turned off um by <laughs> the experience um which is unfortunate uh because I left with such a a, a nice um with um, a good taste in my mouth as it pertains to Garrett generally. I mean, obviously as his viewpoints stand, I don't agree with them, but the reason why we took him down wasn't a, oh, he, he disagrees with Kamala Harris during the, uh, during the vice presidential debate, but it wasn't that. It was an alienation of people and that was not the narrative of the podcast. The podcast was, um, conversation was to come together and those tweets were quite literally meant to um, pull people away. Um, so the podcast is not an honest reflection of who he is and who, what the narrative is. So it's unfortunate we spent all that time on it, um, but I'm not 
and anyway, sorry that we took it down. Not, I could probably speak for both of us. We're not like, sorry that we had to do anything. We're not, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's fair to say that we, we really did enjoy our time having this discourse and his honesty and his openness and his willingness to listen was really wonderful in a lot of ways. And, and I think that's the disappointment I'm feeling beyond, you know, just the hours that were put into it. You know, he says we wasted his time. I worked through the night editing. Um, you literally sorry. didn't sleep. But beyond that, you know, it's it was a really great conversation. And now I just feel like... <sighs> I mean, there's a world in which, so, you know, the question that we've been asked by a few listeners and the question that I've been asked by a few of my friends who are fans of Garrett's um, is, is, you know, will we ever share the podcast or any parts of it? And, and the answer is, you know what, we're not sure. Um, there's a world in which I would love to share the non-political parts in which we talk about golf and his time on The Bachelor, because he told such great stories, some really great behind the scenes stuff about The Bachelor. And, um, and there was a really great through line that really tied those two worlds, his golf career and The Bachelor together in a really special mm -hmm. way. Um, but by cutting up the podcast any more than we have, which, you know, we always edit and condense for clarity's sake, um, not, you know, oh, we talked about this, but we're not going to include that. Um, we feel like it's in the best interest to keep things as honest and thorough as a narrative as possible. Um, if we were to cut it up anymore, then we risk being taken out of context. And I, I'm not interested in going through any more discourse with Garrett or his team or, um, or you know, anyone who, who might take issue with, with what was said and, and also what was not said. So that's mm -hmm. going to be something that we're just going to have to think about a little bit. Uh, yeah. And I'll say uh, to tie it in, like, I'm not sorry for being open-minded. I'm not sorry for allowing somebody to share their different views on the platform. That's what we're all about. I am sorry that, um, that the conversation we had is not true. That's why I'm sorry. Yeah. So, so that's that. Um, I feel good about <laughs> what we've accomplished here. Let's put that to bed. Um, you guys, we've got a, a, a really good show for you today. We're, we're not just going to sit here and mourn this, this conversation all show. Um, in a few minutes, mm -hmm. our friend Amanda Kristovich from Front Office Sports is going to join us and talk about uh, the NCAA and how COVID is impacting it, um, what the grand scheme of college football is looking like right now, and what it has the potential to look like you know, a year into the future one of my really, really great friends from Columbia and just so, so knowledgeable. We could sit here and have a conversation about it, but we figured, you know what, let's bring in the expert. So Amanda's going to join us in a few minutes. And uh, at the end, I guess we'll wrap up. We'll talk a little bit about fantasy and our, our NFL season. Um, I watched the, the season premiere of The Bachelorette last night. That was exciting. So lots, lots going on. We've got a very loaded show for you guys today. Can I say something as it pertains? Like it's kind of a funny anecdote to the carrot thing. You can cut Go it ahead. if you don't want it. Go ahead. I am no novice to getting my feelings hurt by a nice man, a nice looking man. I'm no novice to getting my feelings hurt by a cute boy, but um, 
I'm also uh, no novice at getting over them. So <laughs> exactly, exactly. Cute boys hurt us all the time. We're used to it. So um, I'm here for that. I think we've we've all learned a lot, and it's it's time to move forward. Um, we also have some exciting guests coming up in the next couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. Don't want to say anything and jinx anything because we all know what happened the last time we did that. So, um, but but some really fun guests from a bunch of different backgrounds uh, in sports and outside of sports. And yeah, so uh, stick around and enjoy this conversation with Amanda Kristovich. All right, everyone, we have Amanda Kristovich with us now. She's a reporter for Front Office Sports. She's bylines in USA Today and the Wall Street Journal as well, and recently graduated with an MA in journalism from Columbia University Graduate School of Journalism, where uh, she was like my first friend. So we we go back a little over a year now. Um, did I miss anything, Amanda? No. I just need to clarify not. one thing. Was that the friend that you fell down the stairs next to, or was that a different person? No, no. Wait, remember? No, no. I was I I was there that day. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Because it was our second day of orientation. <laughs> it was also to be an annoying reporter we got ms's not ma's you also have an oh MS my god <laughs> this fucking sucks <laughs> i hate it here i'm so bad at my job today <laughs> no it's fine i also literally like i i literally just had like a 20 minute set like complaining session with matthew where i was like I'm bad at my job and everyone hates me and I can't write a sentence. Like what are sentences? I'm leaving I've all of this in the podcast. Like there's just, I can't, I'm, I deserve to be held accountable for being bad there at comes my a job. moment where you have to just kind of live in your muck. <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm also having a really bad day, so it's fine. <laughs> we're just, we're embracing this very like, <laughs> like disparaging place today. And it's, it's just going to be what it is. <laughs> it literally is always going to be better than, falling down the stairs on our first day of school yeah that's I true. mean yeah that was horrible well thanks for coming on Amanda we really really appreciate it um thanks for having me you've you've written extensively over these past few weeks about COVID's impact on um different conferences and different schools specifically not even three weeks ago you wrote a whole ass piece on COVID at the University of Alabama with one of the best headlines I've ever read by the way Mike listen to this headline as as crimson tide rolls so does COVID-19 at the University of Alabama this is why she has like a really good job and we don't <laughs> that's a in punch in the nose in fucking credible um but but now nick saban has covid so that's exciting mm -hmm. so does the athletic director of the school um <laughs> exciting is not the right word there um <laughs> but hey look we've seen we've seen we've heard a lot about contact tracing in the nfl but in college sports i know it's probably really different and it probably varies conference to conference i mean first off like what's your impression of the process but secondly like will we ever know where he got it like yeah so that's a good question um pretty much the most important thing to understand about the difference between the way that college football is handling covid and the nfl is handling covid is that college football is kind of like the federal government in that it just doesn't have like a plan there are no like 
the bureaucracy of the NCAA like does not allow for any sort of like federal you could say or like sweeping rules like the NCAA has um, released recommendations for how schools should keep their players safe and their coaches and staff safe but by and large um, the real rules and regulations are being designated conference by conference. So, um, and, and part of the reason that that, there actually is kind of a good legitimate reason. And the reason is that there's just such a big disparity in like resources and like how much money each athletic department has that the NCAA, I guess, didn't feel like they could mandate like minimum testing or contact tracing or cardiac screening or any of that because there's so many athletic departments who like literally cannot afford to test their athletes every day like they're planning to do in the big 10 and pac 12 um so that's what it's like it's a clusterfuck um in terms of contact tracing everybody has their own plan they all have like isolation protocols, um, which is why a lot of these schools will, you know, like they, they do like contact race and they do put kids in isolation and they do put coaches in isolation. That is a thing that from what I can see, every athletic department is doing that has a positive case. Um, but it's like sometimes you'll find out where they got it. Sometimes you won't. But there was one school where they basically were like, oh, we, they had an outbreak and they traced the outbreak to like a team meal. Um, and also where someone like a kid like threw, started throwing up on the sideline and from dehydration, haha, it turns out it was COVID. Um, and obviously like <laughs> vomiting in public when you have COVID like is not not ideal yeah <laughs> yeah so you know but but like I don't so like they're following like the CDC's guidelines of contact tracing um and the SEC appears to have like pretty the most serious technology of anything that I've seen when it comes to contact tracing but like by and large it's like it's a football team yeah the idea that like not everyone on the football team was exposed to somebody who has tested positive is just ridiculous in my humble non-medical opinion <laughs> so I just don't understand why they isolate like five or ten players as opposed to the whole team I mean I know that that's diff I, it just doesn't make sense to me and it doesn't make sense to the scientists either really I, I just it you know it depends on what kind of practice they're doing obviously right but um yeah, that's kind of what's happening there with contact tracing. Well, and we know that like athletes are getting special treatment as far as testing is concerned compared to mm -hmm. the rest of the student bodies. Obviously, again, kind of like a, okay. Um, but, uh, but we know that's happening. Do we know anything about like, and again, it's such a general question because everyone is handling it so differently, but do we know anything about how testing has been working? Are, are players getting tested every day in these, for these big schools who are traveling or um, is- Yeah, so, so that like you can like basically look up 
Um, so if you're curious about whether or not your team is testing athletes, you just go to your conference's website. And sometimes it's a little bit harder to find, but they have. So the conferences, at least the power, the power five conferences have minimum protocols for how often athletes are supposed to be tested. So the Pac-12 and Big Ten, who, um, who originally in August postponed football to the spring and then brought it back a few weeks ago now and are going to be playing this fall after all. One of the reasons they changed their decision is because they both got deals with rapid testing companies to test their athletes every single day with a rapid test. Um, and they also have PCR tests, which are the slower but more reliable tests. Um, however, the SEC and ACC, for example, um, well, the SEC for sure, but so let's just leave it at that. Um, like their minimum requirement is testing their athletes three times a week. Um, I believe it's two PCR tests and one rapid test. Um, it could be the other way around. But yeah, so basically like, yes, they are testing their athletes, you know, outside of the power five in the group of five um, FBS conferences, like not all of them even have testing deals with a company um, that like a lot of them, like the schools, each school is kind of on their own, right? Like I did a story where I spoke to the athletic director at New Mexico State, one of the only FBS schools not playing um, and they're testing is coming from funding from the state like the state of new mexico is like giving them funding and they are they're like their athletic department is getting tests that way so you're saying like tax dollars are paying for athlete testing at new mexico state yeah tax dollars <laughs> are paying for a lot of like sport i mean in ohio the state um was funding um certain safety protocols for high school athletic departments like so one of the reasons that Ohio football is happening high school football is happening and has been happening this whole time when literally Ohio State football wasn't happening because they didn't think it was safe the high school kids are playing and part of the reason that that is the case is that their like high school athletic association um got these hired these people to be like um safety protocol like enforcers for all their new protocols and they go around to all the high schools and check to make sure that the high schools are following covid protocols and the way that they're able to pay for all those people is because they got funding from the state and this is like not like they're not scared like literally like someone who works there told me that on the record it's not like something that anyone is concerned about but yeah your tax dollars based on where you live are probably paying for some sort of athlete testing and public schools get state funding and federal funding. So you could argue that even schools like UCLA, who's getting their tests from the PAC-12 and the PAC-12 is paying for those tests, like you could argue that other safety protocols could be, you know, they could be getting a chunk here and there, like, you know, I mean, public universities are publicly funded in many ways. So yes, your tax dollars are going to college football.
safety protocols and high school football safety protocols, depending on where you live. I mean, it's just like, it's wild because obviously like we know that like we pay taxes and a lot of that is allocated to, you know, public universities and that's, that's no secret, but for it to, you know, extend beyond, you know, the pillars of education and into like the safety of the privileged few is just very, very interesting to me. Yeah, absolutely. But but I want to ask you, you know, you, you talk about high school sports and as seniors are preparing to go to college, um, it's a stressful time. And I know a lot of states have canceled high school football effectively or moved it to the spring, which is controversial because a lot of these athletes are multi-sport athletes. Um, I don't know if you can speak to how the scouting process is going to change with high school sports on hold. Um, I don't know if you can speak to you know, these crazy times where these like guerrilla teams are, you know, forming and playing 11 on 11 outside of their schools, but in, in order, you know, it, it's all under the umbrella of this fear of not being able to get college offers. Um, I mean, do you know anything about that? Have you done any reporting on that? I haven't really done any reporting on sort of the high school to college transition. Um, You know, I mean, you have to keep in mind that so many of these high school athletes get recruiting offers before their senior year. So if you're um, Bronny James or Mikey Williams, two of like that top uh, basketball, you know, potential recruits at this point, like they're young, they're not going to college in 35 seconds right? But they already have like just offers on offers on offers. I like interviewed this kid a year and a half ago. His name is Rodney Gallagher and he was 14 in the summer of 2019. He was going into his freshman year and um, he got an offer from the University of Illinois and that was his first college basketball offer. He was 14 And um, the school like confirmed to me that they were recruiting, they were pursuing him. And since then, like I follow him on Instagram and he's gotten a ton of other offers, at least according to his Instagram. So the kids who are really gonna be screwed over by not being able to play now are the kids who, you know- The D2 and the D3 kids. Not, not even that, just the sort of mid to low tier D1 kids, right? I mean, like your most recent, recent season is very important because it gives you an opportunity to up your sort of, I guess, recruiting stock or like going into the NFL draft, for example, your draft stock, right? Like we know that. So if those kids don't have an opportunity to show, you know, to up their skills, like that's a problem. But if you're in the top 30 of recruits across the country, you've been recruited since you were in eighth or ninth grade. So, you know, it's, 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 it's similar to the situation in the NFL or going to the NFL where, you know, Trevor Lawrence doesn't have to play, but he still, you know, I mean, he may get leapfrogged as one agent told me if he doesn't play. But like, even if he doesn't play, like he's going to go in the first round, right? right. Um, same with a lot of these other guys. And I, and again, I haven't done a ton of reporting about it, but from what I know about how early high school recruiting starts, at least verbal recruiting, 
like the the top tier kids already have a ton of offers um but the act of recruiting is very difficult right now sure right so yeah no that's something um i i spoke with a college coach down in uh texas uh a couple of months back and that was a, a big concern secondary of course to you know covid you know making him lay off all of his staff um right. but, but it is a huge uh a big deal um i'm gonna try like to attempt a really graceful segue here let's see how this goes um it's it's kind of incredible how you know you've got these governing bodies these school districts um who are regulating things like football and, and, you know, in, in a attempt to protect these kids and their families, which is great. And then, you know, you go off to college and it's such a disaster and they have suddenly all of this autonomy um, to make their own decisions about playing and the way that they're interacting with other people. And, you know, with that, you know, it's it's about that change into adulthood. And I know there's some legislation on the table right now. Uh, there's obviously, in addition to the COVID-19 crisis, a huge uh, social justice crisis going on right now. And um, their ability to, you know, be their own person and speak out on these issues. And also, I know there's money and deals on the line in some states now. Um, can, can you talk to me a little bit about all of that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll give you kind of a lay of the land. So um, so in terms of legislation, um, like state and federal legislation, what's on the table right now is something that is called um, name, image, and likeness legislation. It's basically saying that after all this time of especially men's basketball players and football players, bringing in the lion's share of um, revenue for, you know, like compared to other sports and not getting a dime of that uh, profit. Like now they're allowed to go out and secure third-party deals with, um, you know, just like apparel company, like brands. Um, they're allowed to do endorsement deals. They're allowed to sign autographs per, potentially um so like you know and they're able to profit off of the use of their name image and likeness and the schools aren't allowed to pay them for this um and because like god forbid the ncaa does not want athletes to be considered employees for many reasons that we don't have to get into right now but like everyone has the right to their name image and likeness but when you become an af a college athlete in the NCAA, you actually sign that right away. So that the, and that's how the NCAA is allowed to put college basketball players on TV and not pay the college basketball players media rights. Sure. For example. So, um, so this is like not a particularly controversial thing, given that a human beings like have rights to this anyway and the um it's far past time according to many that like athlete college athletes like can make money in some way shape or form um and so yeah like part of that could be social justice related stuff the social justice aspects 
I guess, to NIL is A, a lot of people argue that the NCAA actually perpetuates systemic racism, that it's a good example of that because the way the system is set up is that like largely black athletes bring in millions and millions of dollars and that money is dispersed to white coaches, administrators, and uh, white and to fund white athletes, predominantly white athlete sports like tennis or golf that don't make a lot of money on their own. Um, the other issue is that in general, college athletes, especially over the summer, like have decided that they want to use their voices more than they have before. <clears throat> and part of you know, like the Pac-12 athletes over the summer came together and they were like, okay, well, we're going to put out a little Players' Tribune article. And part of that said the athletes wanted to, um, that the athletes wanted fair, like safety protocols They for whatever was going to happen college football-wise. They wanted to say, um, it said that they wanted, um, essentially a union is basically what they were asking for and other athletes in other conferences agreed and they also wanted like serious social justice reform and they threatened to boycott the season if they didn't get all these demands met there is not a college athlete union so technically and they also asked to be paid uh Though that that is not happening this year, so it will be interesting to see whether or not they actually strike. I don't think they're going to, but um, that's sort of like where the social justice aspect comes in. But they have been, I mean, but but what the summer has showed us is that these athletes like don't even need a union to be powerful. Like literally all they have to do is get on Twitter and be like, my coach said something racist, right? I mean, they just have so much power through social media, both to make money through these like pending NIL deals and to also to like, you know, essentially call out or impact some sort of localized social justice change. Um, and, you know, and then of course, I think it's important to note that a lot of the social justice movements this summer were actually spearheaded by black women athletes. Um, there was one woman who I spoke with, her name is Anna Cockrell. She is a track and field athlete at USC. She, I mean, she essentially uh, got off the ground an entire uh, black student athlete association at USC. And so while like the male college football players got a lot of press over the summer at places like Kansas State and USC, it was actually the black women athletes who sort of started a lot of these movements. They just didn't get a lot of the press because they're not football players. Right. Right. Because so, that's that's yeah. how that goes. <laughs> yeah. We had a conversation with Jack Roster Munley from Columbia a couple of weeks ago. Um, he's a podcast producer and also like a true historian of the sport of tennis. And as far as activism is concerned, tennis has really kind of been on on the forefront. And it's just because there's less players, it's not as notable. Um it's an important sport, but but the way that funds are allocated to tennis from, say, football or basketball um, revenue is it's kind of a double edged sword. Again, like you're arguing there there is a a large issue in just the innate racism of giving largely POC earned funds to largely white sports within institutions. 
Um, but at the same time, you know, some of these athletes use these platforms for so much change. So, you know, it's something that the NCAA is probably never going to figure out, but here we are. Well, no, but it's something that they've already figured out, right? Because it doesn't have to be this way. So like Title IX experts, sports historians have all told me that in order to, you know, save, because a big concern with allowing athletes to profit off their name, image, and likeness is that some of the pot of sponsorship money is going to be moved over from the athletic departments to individual athletes. And all of the athletic departments are like, oh, like, like in the Senate hearing, they're like, they're like women's sports are are going to die, like Title IX, all the gains made with Title IX, they're gonna disappear, like Olympic sport, it's the death of Olympic sports, blah, 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 blah. Well, high schools and division three athletic departments who have no money still manage to have women's sports and Olympic sports. It's not about, like they set up the system so that black players, would fund white player sports. They don't have to use that money for that. They don't have, like, it doesn't matter how much money they make or don't make. They're still required by law to have women's sports, right? And if they argue that they're educational institutions, they're still required by the NCAA at least to have a certain amount or certain number of of varsity sports and most of those are non-revenue. They're golf and tennis and rowing and sailing and, you know, even soccer in many regards is not always considered a revenue sport. So like, yeah, there's this sort of dilemma, but but what the system is doing is it's pitting these black male athletes against these women athletes, right? white athletes or athletes just who you know don't play men's basketball or football in a way that like they don't have to right like they could pay they could pay their coaches less they could not spend millions of dollars on new athletic facilities which which by the way they do to maintain nonprofit status because they have to spend as much money as they make and the big power five schools make millions and millions of dollars every year and they have to find a place to put it because they don't pay their quote unquote employees. I'm not saying that they should be employees because I'm a reporter, so I'm not going to comment on that, but like they are not like they don't have the expense of paying players. So they have to find, you know, like there is money to spend on these other sports it just so happens that the way that they are currently funding them is through, you know, it's almost like, like one, one expert said to me, it's almost like a veiled threat that the NCAA is saying without men's basketball and football profits, there won't be women's sports or there won't be Olympic sports. Hmm. Like they like division three athletic departments that make literally no money, like still have all these other sports right? They just find other ways to fund them because they have to, they don't have choice. So what your characterization is correct in that the system is pitting them against each other, but it doesn't have to be that way. And part of the reason it is that way is because it benefits 
the people who make those decisions yeah. financially, right? So, yeah. Yeah, a hundred percent. This is such an interesting conversation and I want to take up hours and hours more of your time, but I won't. No, it's okay. I talk, I, yeah, I get really, once I get going. You get heated, I love it. <laughs> I get heated. Well, just, yeah, just because there's so... And like these, you know, I'm like literally reading a book right now. I highly recommend it to any of your followers. It's called Indentured. And it's about the history of college athlete advocacy and the movement, the various movements to get college athletes to be paid. And essentially also the history of how money has been infused into college sports, which has mostly been through like TV deals. And I'm reading, you know, I'm not the one who did that reporting and I'm just reading it. And it's just so simple like and and easy and it's right out in the open like the system itself is designed to do all these things and that's like really a lesson about a lot of things in this country and in our lives right like like the system like you're not going to find like corruption like all these ncaa violations that people investigate like that's fair but like at the end of the day the stuff that's super controversial is working as designed and it's out in the open you know yeah so. no I hear you do you um I don't know if you can comment but I'm gonna ask anyways uh what do you do you think that these NIL proposals are gonna go through like what what do you think the future of this is um yeah I mean they have to and here's why because uh in July of 2021 a law passed in Florida that allows athletes to profit off their name, image, and likeness is going to go into effect. So, and like, no one is stopping that. Like that's happening. So next July, there's going to be one state in our lovely country that is going to allow college athletes to make money essentially. And no other state at that point, as things stand now is going to let that happen. So that's like the NCAA's worst nightmare because then every single athlete is going to want to go play at schools in Florida. That was the concern when the law passed in California, which was, it's not going to be the first to go into effect, but it was the first one that was passed. Sure. I remember this. This was last year. Yeah. Also, if you remember, it's, I wasn't a reporter at this time, but I vaguely recollect the NCAA threatening to cut off California schools from being part of the NCAA, which is super interesting given how vital UCLA has been to the sort of growth of the creation of the monster, you could say. But anyway, um, yeah, so it has to happen. And that's why in the middle of a pandemic, um, both of like racism and COVID um, and an election, you're still seeing Senate committee hearings on name, image, and likeness for college athletes because like they have to figure this out. Either the NCAA needs to come up with legislation for all of its schools to follow before then, or the federal government needs to come up with a, either their own laws or give the NCAA an antitrust exemption, which will give them the ability to make their own rules about this. Um, otherwise, it's just gonna be up to the states and there are gonna be a number of years where 
depending on what state your school is in, you're either going to be screwed recruiting wise or great, but that's not going to happen. They're going to pass. I mean, literally like they have a proposal that they announced the bare bones of today that they're voting on in January. Okay. The NCAA at least. Sure. So, um, yeah, so it's going to pass. It's just a question of what that looks like, how much autonomy the athletes are given, whether the schools can make money. I mean, there are a million questions um, about what the semantics are going to be. Um, but this is just like really an unprecedented situation and that like literally there's an entire industry that is being built around this and there are no regulations yet. It sounds like a fucking mess. <laughs> it's a mess. It's a mess. And it's a mess because if you'll indulge me for another minute, it's a mess because like the NCAA is so obsessed with the idea that college athletes have to be amateurs. And, and that is partially so that they don't have to pay them and so that they don't have to be subject to any sort of employment law. And it's also part of like, they, they argue that amateurism is what makes college sports so lucrative and like popular. So they're obsessed with that. And it's kind of hard. I mean, it's not hard. It's like normal students in college can pay, you know, can profit off their NIL all they want. It's literally just college athletes who are not allowed to. Um, but the tides are turning against them. And so they're trying to sort of stop like this. It's like, like college athlete compensation is like this rock that's like barreling down this mountain. And the NCAA is doing everything humanly possible to stop it from getting to the bottom, which would be, in my mind, college athletes are employees and they get paid wages from the university, or at least basketball players and football players are. The clusterfuck is in how do they make sure that that doesn't happen? Yeah, and it, it oh God, it brings up a whole, again, we could go on this for hours. It brings up a whole question about, you know, the the institutional setup of scholarships and mm -hmm. the way mm -hmm. that in so many ways, athletes are compensated for going to school. So, yeah, absolutely. Also, just to interject one more thing, the, the reason that the NCAA, by the way, it's fair to say gives for why it's fighting so hard for these policies, like everything I just told you is like sort of the truth and what all the experts say and like what the history says, but what the NCAA says, which I also think is fair to, to say, is that they're doing it to preserve sort of like the academic integrity of like athletes. And to a certain extent, like that is true but there are a lot of rules that they want to put in place because they believe amateurism, or at least they say they believe amateurism is like essential to keeping athletes in school and keeping athletes athlete, like college students and keeping them pure and whatever. It's like, they don't, the it's like they don't know that their, their students are adults, but you know, that's fine. Right. <laughs> Exactly. But um, that's what they believe. And so that's what they're fighting for. Or that's what they say they believe. I, you know, I, I can't speculate about what's in Mark Emmert's head. 
Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the president of the NCAA, for anyone who doesn't know. But I will say, just like anecdotally speaking, I think everyone knows some dumbass that went to Harvard because they were good at like sports, like swimming or something. So I feel like this conversation always is so frustrating. And kind of when you spoke about like the the structure of like scholarship as it pertains to sports, and then classism and wealth inequality as it pertains to college and certain colleges and then you throw sports into that weird at best <laughs> yeah yeah i mean yeah if you're looking for an you know a, a major racially charged or ra like racism concern it's that it's how many black football and basketball players get dinged for ncaa violations when literally the NCAA quote unquote didn't know that the like tennis, like college tennis scandal was happening, right? That like, all, by the way, one of the schools was Georgetown. So I was there for that. And I knew one of the girls um, who was involved in that. Like all those really wealthy kids who were, who basically bribed like tennis golf coaches to get into college and who's, like coaches like forge yeah the ncaa for all of its investigate investigatory might like didn't catch that but you know they they ding they go really hard on recruiting violations for black players all the time um yeah i actually don't know like the statistical distribution of that to be fair i mean they did ding like baseball players last week but like a lot of their most high profile cases are like with basketball players and, and football players. And yet I'm not saying that it is a hundred percent systemic racism again, because I'm a reporter, but I am saying that there's a lot of evidence that points to that. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of people who believe that. So, yeah, no, I, I hear you. Wow. All right. So let's talk about this, this, Alabama article that you wrote, the as as the Crimson Tide rolls. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> um, and and you go into a really, really nice personal anecdote from a student. Can you talk to me about how you found this story and why it's important for you? Yeah, so I actually um, I have a personal connection to a current student at Alabama. Um, and I heard that they were, um, they tested positive and were quarantined on campus in a hotel without um, any medical supplies given to them by the university. They got like one meal, one delivery of what's supposed to be three meals a day. And it just sounded like a very strange situation and I knew that cases were going up in Alabama as they had at Notre Dame, as they had at UNC Chapel Hill. And I was like, okay, this is interesting. So I talked to my editors about it. And I was like, by the way, I heard about this kind of weird situation in Alabama. You know, Front Office Sports is a sports business publication. Um, we're not like an education publication. We're not even just like a normal sports publication. And so I, but I, I basically was like, this sounds really interesting. And I feel like it's relevant to our readers because it's showing them that Alabama football 
which brings in millions of dollars a year for the university, for the athletic department, for the city of Tuscaloosa. Um, like the students, this is like what is happening to the students in order to allow for the students to come back onto campus, A, and thus B, for football players to be able to play. Um, and so I feel like it's like, this is like the human cost of like all the money that the university is making. And my editors were like, yeah, we agree. That sounds really interesting. So that person, um, so I never interview for stories, people who I have a personal connection to. So that person introduced me to a few of their friends um, who I obviously have no connection to. Some of them wanted to be on the record. Some of them were concerned about like retaliation from professors or whatever. So they wanted to be, um, me, wanted for me to not use their names um, and they had been quarantined. And then um, to report the rest of the story, I like used social media and Twitter to find other um, like random students at Alabama who either had been quarantined or had friends who were quarantined. Um, and obviously Alabama um, to their credit, puts out a pretty, like, um, a, a, as far as college campuses go, like a, a pretty comprehensive COVID-19 dashboard. So I knew how many cases they had on campus in general and the trend line. Um, so that's kind of how I found the story and why I thought it was important. Um, you know, I mean, like I said, we're a business publication, but there's a human toll to business decisions. There's a human cost. And by the time I wrote it, the case numbers were declining and it was actually kind of impressive how quickly they were declining, but the damage was already done. Like the students had already been through this. They had already been in quarantine, they had already been freaked out, they had already been sick, and they were living in an environment where they didn't know, you know, one kid described, he listed off like four rumors that were going around campus. And he was just like, nobody like knows what's true and what's not, who's sick and who's not. Um, despite the fact that the university has better testing protocols than other universities. Um, and I mean, just the fact like being stuck on a college campus in communal housing during a pandemic when you can't go to class and you can't see your friends, like if you're following the rules and not doing those things, like it's traumatizing and scary. And the kids are frustrated and they commend the university in general for doing the best it could, but they all kind of were like, well, once you bring the students back they're doing the best they can, but like, there's nothing else they can do. Like literally more than 2000 students tested positive in a span of a month and a half, I believe. Um, right. So that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> and they're terrified. I mean, you know, they're like, they, they were like, and some of them even were like, yeah, I think they should play football. Like I'm excited for them to play football and you know, I think it's fine and as long and and I think the university has been doing a good job but once the university brought the students back which they had to do to get tuition dollars and they had to do to have football they like kind of you know they're like you're gonna have outbreaks there and it's happening all over the country and all of the epidemiologists have told us that that is going to happen so 
at the end of the day, like these are the consequences to these decisions that you could argue were educational and not business, but you know, universities are businesses too. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, again, you're not, you're as far as I know, not an epidemiologist, but like, no, but there's something interesting to be said for that fear. You know, when you look at like, say for instance the high school setting you're you're looking at a situation where these kids are going to school and they're risking bringing it home to their parents who might be at risk or their grandparents um who are automatically at risk just based on their age bracket and at school like there's that fear has got to be so different and i i mean you know we're not college students i don't think any of us can speak to that but you know, it all just goes back to that fear lives in something that I think, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but that's got to be slightly perpetuated by the fact that these athletes are being so well taken care of in this pandemic for all intents and purposes. I mean, at least they're being better taken care of than the student body of these schools as a whole. And the reason why has there's enough there to to instill some fear yeah I mean and the kids are like they know look I did not report on comparing what was available to the athletes to what was available to the non-athletes sure um we didn't think that was that angle was going to be particularly productive especially because like the lack of the disparity in testing which has been reported on by the wall street journal was the big answer to that question. Um, But the students themselves feel at Alabama feel like the football players are safer than, than they are and that they're being better taken care of and that they have safer protocols and that they're better off than they would be at home or just as normal students. And I don't know if that's because they're lot every second of their day is regulated or if that's because I don't know the truth to that. And some of them didn't don't have evaded COVID altogether, but are having trouble with their schooling, with their grades, with their mental health. They're freaked out about the rumors, like, and they're thrilled that football is happening, but like, they're just, you know, they're the ones paying the price. I just think that the reporting that you did was so um, important to, to the conversation that we're having around colleges and college sports, but, but universities in operation during these times. And so we're definitely, um, I definitely want to link this article in the bio of the episode for our listeners, if you're interested in checking it out. Uh, yeah, Amanda, so much of your reporting has, has really been so responsible with just these times and you're just jamming shit out because it just does not calm down. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really... <laughs> I'm really trying. But again, like, thanks for, thank you so much for, you know, just being so open with your information and what you know, and kind of filling us in. Cause it's so, I mean, I'm telling you, dude, like, it's so hard to keep up. I'm not even really paying a whole lot of attention to college football this year, because how, how does what's happening right now with, you know, games being canceled the night before every week. Like, how does that count towards a season? How will a champion emerge in the fair way that it, that they always have? Like, it's so hard to, to keep up with that part of the sport, but just with so much going on in the background, on the business and on the educational ends of things, 
and particularly with, you know, let's just throw a pandemic on top of it. Why not? Um, in an election, by the in way, an election. Trump has totally hijacked, used college football as a swing state election, re-election strategy, which is a whole nother thing, but yeah. No, it's it's crazy. It's just, it's hard to keep up with. So again, we, we just really appreciate you coming on and, and talking to us about it. Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, it's hard for me to keep up with and it's literally my full-time job. So <laughs> I totally get it. I mean, it's, yeah, it's just very diffuse uh, and confusing. And um, when college football is over, we'll have college basketball, which is equally as diffuse and confusing. So LOL. So, wow, that was exciting. Um, Amanda Kristovich, everybody. Uh, thanks to her for kind of joining us kind of last minute, but with uh, all of the news with the NCAA today, I kind of thought that maybe we should address some of that stuff. Um, but she's brilliant and we love her and just uncategorically. Um, really just a nice palate cleanser from the week too. Uh-oh. It's, it's crazy. Um, yeah. And the NFL is crazy. The NFL is handling COVID. I don't know. I'm going to say poorly. How do you think it's going with, with these rescheduled games? And it's, it's, it's definitely a clusterfuck. Um, yeah. Nothing less than a clusterfuck for sure. Yeah. It's not, it's not a clean handling of things. They're just kind of like fake it till they make it. And it's, um, it leaves me in doubt every week being like, this is the last week of football. This is the last week of football. Like, right. It, it's, it's silly. And the scheduling is a mess. The Bachelor specifically moved from Mondays to Tuesdays to accommodate football and like not impact viewership. And that went out the window on week one of The Bachelor this week. Um, but I'll talk about The Bachelor later. But yeah, it's a it's a mess. And then with fantasy, it was a nightmare too. Ugh. I got multiple calls because that way I commissioned two leagues. The amount of calls I got this week, I'm exhausted. Mm-hmm. I'm so tired. As I sip my wine. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I feel that. Um, I, uh, I actually do have a good fantasy story. I, I did something a little savage this week. I already know it. And it was savage. And okay, was yeah, it has I nothing to do you. with football at all. It's just... It's just mean. Oh, but okay. So that's why I called you. So, all right. So here's what had happened. Well, you so, shouldn't have called me to avoid doing something nasty. I'm gonna, I know. I know. And I still it. feel bad. I w- actually, I would feel worse about it if I had won. But here's what had happened. <laughs> Wasn't even worth it. So I'm in three leagues. And this one league, it's a bunch of kids I went to college with. And my, it is arguably, even though it is not... Like I'm in a money, I, I'm in two money. It's a money league, but but my other money league is like much more um, of a financial asset to me. This one is about clout. And my Fordham friends uh, are have a rightful impression that I am bad at fantasy football because even though it's not true, I am doing extremely well in my other two leagues. This league, I am not doing well. I think I'm like one in four. It's it's bad. So I was playing and, and on Monday after the Monday night game, I, I kind of stopped paying attention to the football because I was pretty convinced I was going to lose to my ex-roommate. And my score was 66.8. This is a half PPR league. 
Um, my score was, or no, wait, my score was 66.5 and his was 66.3. And I realized this on Tuesday and I'm like, holy shit, I might actually win. But he still had John Brown in his lineup as his starting wide receiver. And then like two hours before the game, they announced that John Brown isn't going to play and he's out. So I'm like, oh my God, I have a shot at winning if he doesn't notice, but chances are he's going to notice. So what do I do? I drop two pretty decent backup players to pick up Cole Beasley and some other random motherfucker who was projected to score like four points or whatever from, from Tennessee. And, and just so that he couldn't get them like the Mm -hmm. next players that, that he could potentially pick up were projected like one point or something. And when they're projected one point, that's an optimistic projection. There's a good chance they're not even going to get any catches. So I pick up Cole Beasley and this other guy. And, and I'm just like, I'm, I'm being savage about this. Like, I don't care if I'm losing TJ Hawkinson and who else did I drop? Mm-hmm. Anyway, a bird, bird. I picked a bird. Mm-hmm. So I dropped those two. I pick up these, whoops. I pick up these two guys and hope he's not going to win he catches it I don't think to this moment he knows what I did I don't I still am not positive that he knows that I did that he's but, done it <laughs> but he did end up dropping Sony Michelle and picking up one of these other like rando guys and of course he scores like 0.7 points and I lose by 0.3 points so that's my fault because I was savage and I deserved that I deserved to lose for that but I'm also like, I like not to like toot my own horn or anything. I'm really proud of myself. I fucking managed the shit out of that matchup. I think it's totally within a reasonability, if you will. And you're right to do something like that. I don't see why not. Uh, why not? Like it's free agency for a reason. My problem is this is a league where like, if a trade, like it's the same guy, we actually did a trade, um, uh who was it I don't remember who I gave him and I got Cam Newton and apparently the trade looked like collusion quote-unquote which is it's ridiculous like that is not a collusive trade I needed a quarterback he needed a wide receiver and if the trade looks collusive the commissioner can bring it to the league and people can vote on whether or not to push it through (sighs) so annoying so I'm like think I'm sitting there like grinding my teeth like on the edge of my seat freaking out that people are going to look at this like it's collusion and it's not I'm being smart relax please um yeah that would that would get that w I I was trying I just needed that one w so that leaves kind of a a fucking wash for me now but but here we are I look like I'm bad at fantasy football and I probably am so that's, on the, the flip side of that, I'm bad at fantasy football, but I look like I'm really good at it. That's I'm winning all of my leagues by a lot. That's accurate. <laughs> yeah, no, you're actually, no, I think you're much better than you give yourself credit for. I made choices during the draft that pretty much 50% of them were bad. 25% of them were eh, and maybe like one pick was like, good i just like manage really well and first and i play people the appropriate to the matchup for my week so like you and i we played that first week and like any other week i would have played you that week that that matchup i would have lost but i just had one great week and i just keep getting very lucky that way where i 
the weeks I do poorly, I play someone who does worse. Weeks I do like really, really well, I played someone who also did really well. Um, and and that's the game, baby. <laughs> that's the game. I know. I'm not. I'm not doing super well in our UFR league, but that's that's y'all don't care about that. So, um, we'll we'll update on that shortly. Uh, that does remind us, though. Um, we are playing our fantasy football for a charity based in the Bronx called Dream Yard. Y'all should check that shit out um, and make a donation if you're interested in donating through our group pot. Shoot us an email, and I'll let you know how um they're really really great and do a lot of amazing things for the bronx community so give them a shout um other than that that's all i really know the bachelorette premiered last night it's gonna be a really boring season oh oh well really why why do you say that all right so we know that claire who's the bachelorette she's quote unquote, like her claim to whatever everyone has to say that she's the oldest bachelorette in history. She's 39. She's not old, relax. And she looks fucking incredible. If I look half that good when I'm 39, oh boy, you bitches better watch out. Relax. <laughs> um, but she, we all know that like she chooses a guy and then they run off and live happily ever after. And then Tasha is going to come in and be the bachelorette for the rest of the season. And we're under the impression that's going to happen in like episode three or four where that transition is. Um, But that was what was frustrating about last night is like now that like ABC knows that we know that they've started alluding to like, oh, well, Claire left. So now what are we going to do? Like they're showing like clips like that. And but they're they're dragging it out. Like, I'm grateful for the opportunity to get to know these guys because most of them are going to go on. I, I'm under the impression, at least, most of them are going to go on to be Tasha's group of guys. Um, she's getting, like, Claire sloppy seconds, which sucks, but whatever. Um, but it's nice to know them, but it's, like, the entire episode last night was spent on, like, there was, like, a little bit of petty drama that we didn't need to see. Like, just introduce us to the guys get through it these next like few episodes i'm convinced at this point are just going to be like a cock tease for like the real drama of the season which is irritating (sighs) i invest way too much emotional energy in the show i do that with big brother a lot of football players on this season though that's exciting oh yeah I don't know any of them, but a lot of professional football <laughs> players, profe- quote unquote, professional football players probably played for like a couple of years and then couldn't find jobs. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, Claire apparently ends up with a professional wide receiver. His name's Dale. I don't know anything about him. He's really hot. Oh. Do you have any hot takes for uh, the rest of the NFL season? Not at COVID uh, related, but like how the season's going to go. Any teams you think great suck? What's up? Give me like three hot takes. Um, like like scolding send me to the hospital takes not like like put it in the microwave for two minute hot no caution all right uh the ravens aren't gonna make the super bowl okay i agree oh all right so that's not hot fuck that uh no i think i think it's i think it's hot enough i think that there is a lot of people that are gonna disagree with you it's like tepid it's like lukewarm they can and i won't be like (gasps) it's boiling it's not scalding yeah, it's definitely like at a simmer, should take the top off, raise it to high, you know. Okay, so that's one. So our Ravens not going to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Giants are probably going to lose against 
the Washington football game this week, which means not the we... Washington football game. The Giants are going to lose against the Washington shit. football team this week. I don't have anything, Mike. I don't know. I don't know. It's I don't worry because I do. Da, 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 hot takes with Mike. Anyway, Seahawks in the Super Bowl. Maybe a hot take considering their defense. Um, I don't. don't I don't think that's a hot take. I I think the Seahawks have have what it takes. So I actually think it's going to be Steelers and Seahawks. Um, it's going to be like an underdog story with the Steelers because they, because uh, Big Ben came back, and then it's going to be kind of hard because you want Russell Wilson to get his, get his, you know, his 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 ring, but then like the story of the Steelers kind of like charging back. It's it's like it's gonna if that's the narrative that ends up happening, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. They're five and zero. Oh. They, their defense is much better than the Seahawks, in my opinion, and their offense is not as good as the Seahawks, but not in comparison to how much better their defense is, if that makes sense. I think their their offense can manage really well. So I think it's going to be them two in the Super Bowl, Chargers winning the Super Bowl next year, and... No, I just, I'm going to have to make some fucking cuts, because we don't shit on the Seahawks defense in this house. But they're not doing No, that. no. No. They're no. not definitively speaking everyone can you all step away for a second so can I cut in I can have a conversation we are here for the Seahawks I am no. the Seahawks I really do go. love the Seahawks Hawks. go go yes I, I'm a not go. secret Seahawks fan no, I love I'm the neither am I. they're probably like like my number one is Giants obviously number two is Browns obviously um you're looking up like obviously yeah no I was wait why them. why is the browns oh okay yeah, yeah. um i sat on the sideline so- at the old brown stadium when i was like two weeks old browns are right by default even though they're and they're doing really well they could they they i can see a playoff run for them they could fight yeah. for it uh, we'll see um i don't know the seahawks i guess we're seahawks fans on this podcast big seahawks fans i'm a yep. huge seahawks fan i i want i I definitely want to see them go to the Super Bowl and win. I want Russell Wilson to get what he deserves. I want my daddy to get what he earns. Because everyone has been desperately asking me about the top five quarterbacks that I would like to sleep with in the NFL. We've gotten so many emails. It won't stop. Like, it's just, we have to hire a PR person. It's We've not got no I, emails. I'm exa- I, Kata, I'm exhausted by all the, all the press. Um, so I just want to come clean that um from five to four and i'm doing this off the cuff i didn't have not planned this in advance and i know i'm gonna hate myself for it later okay ready are you ready all right um okay okay okay, okay. i there's a lot of them there's there's a lot of quarterbacks is it 30 some specifically are we doing so, just starters 32 are we doing just starters not in this brain, I wasn't doing just starters. <laughs> all right, all right, you do you. Go all ahead. right. It's just interesting because usually, um, usually it's kickers, but we'll do that on another. It is, it, it, it still is kickers with. because, like, if I were to get cast in an NFL game, um, I would get the kicker track and I would fit it really well. Um, who are the five quarterbacks that you'd sleep with in order? Number all right, five. uh, number five, Patrick Mahomes, number four, Nick Foles, number three three is drew Brees, not on a personal level just like by looks um he's i think we would have like a really tumultuous breakup oh my god um 
number two, Andy Dalton. Ooh, that's a hot take. Number one is Russell Wilson by a long shot. Uh, but number two, Andy Dalton. Oh, fuck. No. This is hard. I'm picking out Drew Brees and I'm putting Joe Burrow in there. I get the same thing, but I, I, I think Joe Burrow and I would have a better chance at a solid relationship. You and Joe Burrow kind of look like. No, you I don't. I don't know why I said I that. No, you're kind of right. I should bring that up in therapy. <laughs> My therapist would, would like to know that. All of you have a, a free pass to come ruin my whole life. Um, I can't expect it going well, given my track record, but I will I'll appreciate your time anyway. And to our listeners, feel free to ruin his life too. You can email him and me. I'll get to see it too. At, uh, yes and i help. know like our emails are really full right now because oh my gosh. so like invested and it's like we're getting through them and we're answering mike let me plug it let me plug it it's hello ufr at gmail.com for fuck they all sake. know it they all know it and then uh our handle by the way if you want to dm us instead of that's more your speed because you know whatever um at ufr vodcast that's with a v by the way v-o-d-c-a-s-t ufr vodcast because we used to do videos but nowadays we all look like such shit when we do this that it's just there's no point there's just it's pitiful y'all y'all don't need to see this this is a disaster yeah here we are just being messes i need more wine um thank y'all so much for listening and we look forward to hearing your thoughts on all of these episodes um Reach out if you have any questions, ideas, quandaries, problems, or suggestions for guests. And we are looking forward to bringing you a very fresh new guest um, next week. All right. Love you guys. Have a good week. Be safe. Vote. Take care of your families. Wear your mask. And we will talk to you next week. Vote. Bye. Bye.